All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of The Big Questions with Big John. I'm your host. You could tell I'm the only big one in this in this frame, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Big John. And today I have uh, two very interesting guests, something that you don't hear too much uh, talked about on podcasts, but I would love to delve into the subject. Uh, my guests are so, so when we were talking about having them on, they described themselves as anarchist parents and anarchist moms, if I believe, which immediately got me hooked. Being a good libertarian got me immediately hooked. So I, I said, I got to have these two uh, ladies on to discuss their, their thinking, what anarchist parenting is and uh, the pros, any cons if possible. Let's talk through it. So let me, let me introduce them right now. We have... Uh, and please wave, as I mentioned you, I'm sure I'll have, well, our editor will have your names down, but Sarah Beal, uh, she passes on her wisdom via unschooling coaching and mentoring and got serious about impacting home education uh, for families by showing them how they can bring in money without having boring jobs. Man, that sounds really cool. Uh, her passion is to show families what is possible and to support other mothers in rediscovering their authentic selves and spend as much time as possible having adventures. Wow, that sounds like something we should all aspire to. So I, I, that, that sounds awesome. And her partner in the unschooling effort, world schooling effort is Lainey Liberty. And you gotta love that name too. Uh, Lainey Liberty is an author, speaker, community leader, teen coach, alternative education advocate who has helped spearhead the thriving world school movement. Uh, she has a best-selling book it's called Seen, Heard, and Understood, Parenting and Partnering with Your Teen for Greater Mental Health. And you can find that on Amazon.com. So take a look at that. Make sure you go and grab it. And uh, ladies, welcome to the show. And uh, love to sit here and talk to you a little bit. So I'm just going to talk. I'm going to throw that right out there. Uh, what is unschooling? Uh, tell me what the concept of unschooling is. <laughs> I mean, it's living without school. It's living as if school doesn't exist. And, it, I mean, people call it self-directed education. They call it natural learning. Um, I guess the idea of unschooling was like an antidote to schooling. Mm. Um, and so commonly around the world, it, that is what this kind of um, counterculture movement of homeschooling or home education is now commonly known as okay so it's it, so is but is it fair to say it's homeschooling or is it just yes it, it is. is and it's also a term that was coined by an educator named john holt mm -hmm. and the movement came about through his philosophy and his writings and it was birthed in the 70s and those of us that were attracted to this philosophy it's really partnership and learning it is um, a non-authoritarian approach to education, and it's absolutely not sitting and doing nothing. It's, it's, it's a learning without curriculum as if school doesn't exist. So it takes into account experiential learning, social learning, multi-age learning, and everything around you is an opportunity to learn. I mean, we all have brains in our heads and that's what brains are designed to do in a very basic way. It, it absorbs information, right. it processes it, and then it makes it make sense, makes the information make sense to our experiences. And that really, by virtue of definition, is what learning is. 
Right. Now that's, that's sort of interesting. And you said a lot. So I have a lot of questions that I want to get into right there. But um, so, for example, you mentioned uh, learning as a paradigm of your environment, of your experience. Um, the concept of NET, natural environment uh, uh, teaching and natural environment learning. Um, that sounds to me wonderful. And I'll play devil's advocate here for the traditional schooling, right? So that way we can have a, a nice, uh, robust understanding, which is, all right, uh, fair enough. Uh, I, I agree with you on that. Learning shouldn't be, you say, rote memorization and just the recital and learning of facts and then just regurgitating facts. And there've been a lot of uh, famous uh, intellectuals who've espoused that, like Einstein famously, right, for example. But is there a point at which some structure is necessary for a developing mind where you could say like, okay, I don't want to necessarily indoctrinate my child and I don't need necessarily to uh, uh, put him in a classroom. Like I'm okay with all that, but do they, what kind of guidance is involved in unschooling? What kind of uh, acting as a Sherpa, let's say, uh, leading them on this journey? How, how does that work as opposed to the traditional I'm the teacher, you're my student type of thing. Mm, that's a really good question. And that that is probably the crux of the most common issue that comes up for parents um, right. in conversation with us and that we work with. And that is um, how, how do I work with my kids so they're not a complete asshole? Mm. And it's like um, we, we mostly advocate for... Uh, kids to learn in a self-directed way and they get to be fully in charge of their learning and life right and many of us take that to the extreme so not just the conventional kind of learning but how we live um, but a part of our job I guess as a parent um, and, and as a mentor to young people whether it's as a parent or not is to provide guidance at some point, but it looks really different to us than it might do in a school, for example, or even in a conventional family where a parent or a teacher will say, this is how it's going to be. Mm. So instead of having like, I mean, I'm using my hands now, which if this is a podcast, you're not going to see, right? But, you know, instead of having this narrow pathway where kids just kind of walk in this straight line like I always think of it as like a big bubble with the kids just like bouncing around in it and and they sometimes hit the edge and then they come back and then they hit another edge and like as parents we're kind of holding how holding the outer layers like really wide though like nothing like in a school where you're like you start at nine o'clock and then you sit down and you get your books out and this right. is what we're going to learn it's more a um like chaotic mishmash <laughs> of, of all the because learning is not linear learning is is organic and like a massive big scribble going up and down and sometimes when kids are doing that because they are naturally going to place themselves at the very center of everything like that they do because that's what kids right. do to learn that they bounce up against somebody else um, and yeah our job as a parent is to know um, when do I go, hey, you're being a little bit of an asshole? And when do I go like, oh, that's a bit annoying, but actually um, this is part of how they're going to learn where the edges of their experience are and where they might bash up against somebody else. Right, right. Well, I, I mean, I, I guess I understand that concept in terms of um, 
letting letting a child or a learner of any age actually figure out what it is they want to learn, what they're necessarily interested in learning, making learning interesting and fun for them. Uh, but let me throw this challenge out at you. Obviously, there's a lot of tasks in this world that are very uh, strictly defined in terms of their function, right? So, I mean, obviously, the first thing that comes to mind might be a heart surgeon or, or, or um, say, the, the, the people who put together the space shuttle for, for Elon Musk or whatever, right? Um, it, seems, it, it seems very counterintuitive to me that this type of schooling would be the type of thing that would produce the type of people we need for those tasks. Now, I'm not in any way advocating for, uh, hey, you must be an engineer, or I think you need to be a doctor, or, you know, I, I'm not advocating for that. But in the event that, how do we get to that point? Because it really does require that some sort of um, discipline that developing minds, I would think, just don't have, right? So you mentioned this nice, sort of dogma of, 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 of kids bouncing off each other, learning what the edges of their experiential learning is, then pushing it a little bit more if they want to, and, and, and fair enough. And I've never been a, a proponent of the traditional nine to five myself. So, but, but how, do we, how do we get to the point where we are producing doctors, uh, whatever society may need that's a specialized profession, say? Yeah, I'd like to take that sure. um, because it's a really good question. And I understand from the perspective of somebody who has never experienced or come across a self-directed learner. We're talking about childhoods and we're talking about um, really developing a love of learning through the experience of learning. And there are many books written about the differences between intrinsic motivation to learn and mm -hmm. extrinsic motivation sure. to learn. School creates a uh, situation, an institutional situation where it's sometimes rote, which obviously we're not fans of. Um, but a lot of it is scope and sequence, scope and sequence, right. scope and sequence, and evaluation. And where do you think the motivation comes to be a part of this system? Where does that come from? It comes from with, without, with, right. from, from the outside, not from the inside. And so you have invited two anarchist moms to your podcast, and we want to talk really about what it looks like parenting without this authoritarian uh, paradigm as a part of it. And that really can be reflected through the learning process. Hmm. Um, as an, an anarchist parent and just a parent who's unschooling or a parent in general, obviously we want what's best for our children. Sure. But we also want our children to find their true north. And part of that comes in early childhood, which is learning about their self-regulation with their body. When, when am I hungry? When do I need to poop? Right. When do I want to eat? And when you put them in an institution, those things are regulated for them. Um, so by allowing them to first regulate their own physical bodies and then to intentionally take that further to regulate the things that interest them, we're not talking about creating a scenario of chaos, although sometimes to some people it may look like chaos and entropy, but there's there's birthing of new things 
every moment and just allowing that to be without the interference is really empowering your your children to learn the things that they want to learn both from their internal world space and from the world around them and to answer your question so that was sort of my long-winded way to get to your no it was it was it was great i'm 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 really enjoying this yeah. definitely yeah <laughs> because we talk a lot no we that's okay yeah, no, a lot about no. this. right yeah so so you're 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 letting them sort of feel their way meaning they the, the children the learners um yeah. you're letting them feel their way and you're saying much the way they learn like what their uh what their bathroom schedule is their own internal clock uh uh their own sleep cycles and and when they're most uh, aware and cognitively uh, that's, uh you know that's young that's and, very young right yeah uh, you're saying much in the same way you expect that sort of in, uh, intellectual development to occur absolutely uh, in a very natural sort of setting which which again i have no issue with i i, I and again i'm please i'm playing devil's advocate i'm not denigrating anything here how would you answer the like okay um authoritarianism hey i'm the first one to get rid of that that's fine um but what at, at a certain age what do ch children don't know what they don't know right so um how do you is is it in your dogma to say well i without forcing anything on my a child is it my responsibility to introduce them to as much as possible so they can make that informed decision for, for example, like, hey, this is what a chemist does. This is what a physicist does. This is what an engineer does. This is what an artist does. This is what a novelist does, you know, whatever that may be. Um, now, obviously, if you go to this rigid institutionalized thing, they have programs for all that. And, and honestly, that's why a lot of kids fail at a lot of different things in these institutions, because they're inundated with stuff. They have no business and no interest, like uh, me personally. You know, someone tried to teach me how to speak French and Russian and German, and I couldn't have any, I couldn't be bothered with any of that stuff. So consequently, I failed both. Well, I want to respond to a belief that you have. And then sure, absolutely. Yeah, Sarah is chomping at the bits to talk about the academic stuff. So sure. And we both have kids that are really highly engaged in academics because they choose to, but she'll, I'm sure she'll get into that. But the belief that you believe that kids don't know what they don't know oh. is already creating a wall or a belief or a mm -hmm. system of interacting with your child. And if you can shift that, because that's a very common belief sure. about a, a cultural belief, right? And if you have the ability to rewrite that belief, they already know what they're interested in. And this, this path of bouncing on the trampoline will take them into physics. Like they already know that. They may not have articulated the word, mm -hmm. but those directions are the directions that they're meant or interested in going down. And they know the things that light them up. So the belief from the parents' perspective of standing on the outside and judging based on some belief system that society has given us may not be the lens that's the most healthy 
through an anarchist or, or in your case, libertarian sort of lens to look at your children through. So that would be the first thing. And I'm sure Sarah's going to talk about the learning. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I was going to challenge that, that same point, um, <laughs> and, but also um, reinforce this idea of observation as being uh, paramount in, in the culture that Lainey and I um, are, are passionate about and committed to. And it's, it's, it's almost the complete opposite of this real interventionist way of relating to children, uh, which is based on the assumption that, they're, that they are born empty vessels and are just ripe for us to pour our vast wisdom in. Um, and I, I can't necessarily pinpoint when I realised that that wasn't true, but sometime in my early mothering life, I was able to slow down enough to watch my children do this stuff that I wasn't teaching them. Um, I don't know how they learned to walk or talk or put shoes on or um, sing or feed themselves. I'm not conscious of teaching them those things, but certainly they would have observed me doing some of them. Uh, and so I started to question this idea that they needed explicit teaching for a start because that's really what the idea of um, school the system of school is based on that kids know nothing and need to be taught uh, and I was noticing that that just wasn't what was happening in my house um, and so really we're talking about an extension of that idea beyond you know the age of three or four so most people um you know, many, many people are kind of happy to kick about at home with their kids for a couple of years. And then they're like, oh, well, now they're two or three. They're kind of going to need to go out somewhere out of our home to be taught the stuff that I don't know how to teach them. Um, and and what I observed was actually uh, we didn't need to do that, that we could just keep doing the same thing at home exposing or not just at home I mean that's another misconception about homeschooling is that that it just happens at home um but our kids aren't locked in cupboards and they're just naturally engaging with the world around them and so they are they're not only observing what's going on outside of themselves but they're interacting and they're modeling and they are seeking information you know in the in the same way as um as, as you do at school, but in a less um, less guided and less dogmatic way because they're actually at the centre of their learning experience. So they get to go, oh, I'm really interested in animals. What can I glean about animals? And they will just take in whatever's going on around them that feeds, you know, the, the particular interest. And I've got four kids and they've all got four um different interests and they know how to get the information I hardly provide them with any information because they just know where to go to get it um, and so it's not my experience uh, or the experience of many other parents who live in a similar way that we need to you know give them all the stuff uh, like where um, I mean I was going to say we're a conduit we're not even a conduit we're like um, we're just kind of here as like cheerleaders and supporting them and um, reinforcing the belief that they already have, actually, that they can access anything that they need, including, if they wanted to, a university degree to be a doctor. Hmm. 
Or an engineer. Yeah. Or an engineer. I mean, the interesting thing about kids who don't go to school is that they're um, they're not limited to these kind of conventional pathways either. And they're questioning so much um, that, that the, I mean, many of them don't choose those kind of like normal vocations. Um, not that they couldn't, they absolutely could and some do, but actually they're, you know, they're entrepreneurs, they're creators, they're artists, they're travellers, they're musicians, they're, um, they're doing, they're often doing the stuff that we're doing at 40 odd or 50 odd. And they're doing it when they're like teenagers, because no one's limiting them and telling them that they can't. Right, right. No, see, that's very interesting. And you're actually triggering a lot of different questions and thoughts in my head right now. So uh, just to think about what you sort of what you said at the tail end there, I can very much see where this is a great environment for uh for uh for the creatively or the not the computational brain uh, i keep getting it confused what is it the 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 left hemisphere people the ones who are like uh the the programmers the the technical people the engineers the mathematicians the people who need to have order and logic in their lives versus say the the right hemisphere, I hope I'm not flipping them around, uh, who are the more creative types, right? They're the artists, they're the musicians. And there's absolutely, you know, I'm not judging any one of those paths, by the way. Um, so for example, uh, I've always considered myself fortunate because I flip flop between the two, right? So uh, I, I, my, I'm a data analyst by trade, I'm a biologist by trade, but as I've gone through life, I've become a comedian and a writer and a producer, right? So to me, it's, I, you know, I can't succeed at anything fully because I'm too interested in too many things, right? <laughs> so it's really interesting to me. People say, why aren't you a stand-up comedian? Well, because I say my life isn't fucked up enough. You know, I haven't, you know, I haven't experienced that, like having to starve to, you know, and, you know, but at the same time, I don't fall into the paradigm of the person who needs to sit in the same spot for 10 hours a day doing that one task that will get them a Nobel prize or something. So I understand what you're saying, but I'm almost, I'm still struggling a little bit with the, the role of the parent, not necessarily as an instructor or as an authoritarian figure. That's not what I'm going at. I guess maybe describe the role of, of the parent, either as a Sherpa or as a, as a guide or whatever term you want to use. Like I almost get the, in my head, I get the image of say, like a Socrates or a Plato sitting with their students in, in the open air market and, and just discussing things and uh, the Socratic method of, of just constantly asking questions, never answering a question, but answering a question with a question and forcing the student to constantly dig deeper into what it is they're trying to get at. And that true knowledge comes that way and the love of learning comes that way. So is that sort of like where you see yourselves in this dogma where it's sort of like, uh, you know, if my son comes up to me and says, uh, dad, how do I do this? Well, how do you do that? Have you tried this? Have you tried that? You know, as opposed to, okay, here's a book and let's have five classes. And when you pass five tests, then you'll know how to do this. I mean, that's the one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is to, to be willing to watch them fail and possibly fail repeatedly um, in order to get to where they want, right? So I'm assuming that parents that are um, that follow your 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 unschooling, uh, is that the right term you guys use? Unschooling. I don't want to miscategorize. Would you unschooling? World school. Unschooling. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, parents almost have to have an iron will in that sense to say, I'm going to allow my child to fail. Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, that's a huge right? part of it. Safe yeah. spaces to fail is part of that self-regulation. And that plays well into adolescence, mm. even the end of adolescence, right? So if a child is prevented from actually taking risks and failing, then you know, we're really shutting down this this really important lesson. And to answer your question, and I'll hand it over to Sarah next, but to answer your question, our role is that of a facilitator. That's mm-hmm. it. Okay. We are a facilitator. We're not a teacher. Um, some children learn by courses, and if they if they initiate and say, hey, mom, can I take this course? Of course you can. And we love mentors. We love um, all sorts of learning environments, but they don't right. have to look like an institutional, you know, setting. It doesn't have to look like that. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you on that. Like that part of your, of your, for lack of a better term, pitch is you've, you've sold me, you know, like you don't have to sell me on being, not being re, uh, limited to four walls in a classroom with 29, 30, 40 other learners. I, that you've sold me on. Uh, my son is actually uh, autistic, so we've had to teach him in a non-traditional manner to learn and to go through life and to learn how to navigate life. So in, to that extent, yeah, my, my son's not an audio learner. He's a visual learner. So we had to teach him that. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's a lot of Lovas in our teaching. There's a lot of Skinner in our teaching because of his particular circumstances, right? Um I'm assuming someone like Lovas or Skinner is probably an anathema to your unschooling, right? Because of their behavior modification techniques. Yeah. And we don't manipulate behavior at all. That's the antithesis of what we do. Absolutely. I get that. Um, How do you handle problem behaviors? Do they arise, uh, like say in, in, in your experience, do you get problem behaviors with your kids at an early age, maybe? You want to take that? I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess that 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 terminology, problem behavior, I, I think what you mean is behaviors that we find challenging as parents. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, I meant, or, I meant uh, say, uh, aggressive behavior or okay. uh, towards others, say, towards other kids, yeah. say. I don't mean problems yeah. in the sense of, oh, he's doing something that I find personally distasteful. I mean, like, oh, my kid happens to be six foot when everybody else is five foot and they're bullying kids or, they're, yeah. they're, you know, things that those types of problem behaviors. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and look, in our, in the, in the homeschooling community, um, I mean, I guess it's fair to say that there's probably an over-representation, if you like, of kids who um, don't fit in at school for some of those reasons. So there are parents who are dealing with, like, really serious challenges around, um you know, how they conduct themselves physically, how they relate with other people. Um, so, yes, I do. we do know what you mean. And sometimes it is about um, helicoptering, if you like, which is also not something that we would ever, we don't, we don't choose to do that generally. But, you know, um, I, I, had a, I had a child when she was two that was like bashing people. Um, and I imagine if she'd continued to do that as an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old right. because right. neurologically that's what she was doing, I probably would have had to continue with some of the, the, the methodologies that I used back then, which was like just making sure she wasn't hurting anyone or herself. <laughs> that's my dog. I hear the dog. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I guess anecdotally, the sorts of the philosophies that we're talking about do work, which we that's another word that we hate to use for kids who have got neurodiversities to the extent that you're talking about. But modification, I mean, what, what we're not talking about um, changing or altering kids' behaviour essentially, but certainly there can be an element of we need to protect and advocate for our child or protect right. somebody else's child. Right, yes. right. Yeah. yeah, and that yeah. doesn't mean that philosophically unschooling can't work because every family is different. And, uh, you know, I've got four kids and every now and again, one of them is a bit of a dick, you know, and I'm going to go, hey, stop being a bit of a dick. Um, or like my two boys will fight physically and mostly they don't actually want me to get involved. But if one of them picked up a chair, I, you know, maybe I'd have to go, hey, put down the chair. Um, and, and obviously we'd, we want to um, we want to make sure that particularly if that was happening outside of the family, because in your family, you can you can judge, can't you, how how things are going to go down. And you've got um, you've got more scope to let things play out than if it was happening in the playground with somebody else's child. So this isn't like we never step in to make sure everyone's OK. Not at all. Um, but this is more. um respecting um respecting a child's inbuilt instinct to self-govern because you know we're talking about anarchy right and and children from a very young age from infancy from birth have got this drive to be in charge of themselves and their own bodies and yeah maybe there are some times in your 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 ex your lived experience i think is what you're saying is that there are some times where you've got to step in to protect maybe your child maybe somebody else's child, maybe yourself. Yeah. And, and we acknowledge that those things do happen for sure. Yeah. 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 And I do want to add one more point. We are not advocating a punitive um, relationship. So mm -hmm. when things do happen and life is messy, right? Life is just messy. Sure. Um, we help them to unpack it together. We examine all of the natural consequences and then we forge ahead, right? You know, right. it's our job to create these safe spaces so they can process these things, these, you know, mistakes, if, if you want to position it as such, or just challenging situations. If it's a matter of, of a child getting triggered and not understanding how to pause or re-regulate their breath or using tools like that those i mean those are the things that i really focus on are are the tools for mental mm. wellness um some people call them tools for mental health but mental health then implies that you don't have it so right. it's mental it's really tools for mental wellness which is what we all need in order to be prepared for life you no, I, I, I believe me, I agree with you on that end too. Um, yeah. Like I, I, I look at my son now, who's as big as I am. I'm 6'3", 270, and my son is as big as I am right now. I can't have him losing his cool with other people. It's just dangerous. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's very interesting you mentioned that because we have taught him to count to 10. And to, and you, sometimes you'll just see him in a corner going, yeah. he's, he's trying to regulate his own temper. Um, and he's made great strides. Uh, my wife and I are very proud of him. Um, and he's been outside the traditional school system, to be honest with you. Yes. We did not put him in the public school system because we felt it did not cater, or cater's the wrong word, address his particular 
needs educationally. That's not to say I would have done the same, say, had be, had he been neurotypical. So uh, I, I don't want to come off like a hypocrite, you know, and, and say I would have gone down the, the, the unschooling path on my own. But I do understand what you're saying. Um, and, it, and it's also very interesting to me. I, I, I have to be honest, though, in my mind, I'm having a little bit of trouble still. And maybe it's my own bias. I, not maybe it is my own bias where I have trouble in certain areas seeing how there's a transition because the brain is still developing up until what, 25, 26 Hi. years old, right? Yeah. So, you know, I still don't understand, like, if we're going to have an age of consent, why it's not 25, why exactly. pick 16, I 17, 18. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand that, you know, but like either if you either get rid of it altogether or if you do have one, make it 25, you know, and, and leave it at that. But um, given that, like, I'm, um, do you do you sort of see this as a lifelong sort of schooling where there's no such thing as graduation, obviously, no, in any formal sense or any traditional sense? But do you see yourself, say with your children, do you see yourselves as saying, I'm their teacher, I'm their guide, until I, I stop breathing, basically, is, is that the case, or do you do you guys have a point where, say, your your child decides like, hey, I'm I'm done, you know? Is it is it entirely up to the child, or do you maintain? Well, do you mean self-directed education? So self-directed education means that they're directing themselves. I'll answer from the perspective of being a mom to a yeah. self-directed learner who's 23. So my son is sort of at that age. And I have to be clear, I don't agree with, I, I don't agree with the arbitrary age of consent. Mm -hmm. I, do we even need a legal age of consent? But if we did, then right. make it 25. That's what I was agreeing to. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I got your agreement to that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. okay. Sarah, do you, wanna, do you wanna chime in first or should I talk about... Well, I was I was just gonna. Well, I wanted to question: Are you talking about the parenting or the learning? Because I guess um, the distinction. Well, there's no distinction. Like so, in our life and in unschooling as a philosophy, and every family is slightly different. But in general, um, there's no distinction between learning really and anything else. You know, unless a child did get to the age of 16, which does happen, and then they're like, do you know what? I really want to go to university. I need to go take some courses. Um, and then, of course, they make the conscious choice to go into some kind of formal education in order to do that. That's not uncommon. Um, aside from that, learning happens all the time. It doesn't switch off. It certainly doesn't happen Monday to Friday between nine and three. And, and, our, and our mothering or our fathering or our parenting also doesn't switch off, although I do sort of like to switch off at about 10 p.m. But that's the sticking point. Um, <laughs> but so, so the idea that it would be like done um, doesn't exist in our family uh, I mean, I think my husband is hoping that one day they'll move out, but that's like a really long way in the future. And and really, once you start questioning um, the school system and all of the other systems, then you, you also start questioning um, everything else, the very fabric of our society, including like, do kids need to go and move out and then go get their own mortgage and then right. buy into the banking system? And then, you know, why why do we do that? Like, do does that need to happen? Can they just all live at home forever and ever and bring their partners here and have goats 
and then our parents move into and we live on a farm like there's there's like you really just start questioning all of that stuff so the idea that it ends or switches off um no no (laughs) we are we are all life learners and those of us that went through institutional learning we bought into the idea that learning ends when school stops and that's bullshit. It doesn't work that way. I mean, I could talk about like the professional things that I've taught myself in my careers and different things like that, but I continue to learn by researching and learning and observing and reading and studying and, and all that was self-driven because that motivation came from within. My son is the same way. And at an early age, he became extremely fascinated with literature. And so I never told him, you must read, but he asked me for access to all different kinds of books. And at 12, here's this kid with this vocabulary, which (laughs) is extraordinary because at 12, he's reading H.P. Lovecraft, right? (laughs) And so it's really fascinating to me when there is not the belief that this is appropriate, this is what I should be doing, I need to wait for this, I need to be tested on that. When learning is just a completely open field, you continue that, it doesn't stop. So my son, when he decided to have his own place, he's still in the same town as me, you know, which is really great. We're both in in a a town in Mexico because we've been nomadic um, for 14 years. But when we decided to settle somewhere, you know, he chose to be in the same town because we're partners. We're, I'm, I'm not his, you know, I'm not living with him and taking care of his needs the way I did when he was a a small child and he's independent, but we're, we are, we have a true connection and that's, you know, that's, those are the types of relationships that will promote lifelong learning. And I can get into this topic if you're interested, but starting to heal these ancestral wounds, these patterns, these cultural patterns of authoritarianism that are really unhealthy. I have a child and Sarah has children that will step into the world and question why things are being done the way that they're being done. He has the inner strength and knowing and self-confidence to say, I don't think so. I am not consenting to that. Uh, That's not in alignment with my values. And to have the ability, because he's self-regulated, he has a greater understanding of his internal worlds, and he's not following the generational patterns of of these authoritarian relationships, right? No, that and and that does sound uh, that does sound great, actually. You know, I mean, I, it's not that I'm in any way disagreeing with your premise, yeah. and and um, I, I actually do. A lot of what you're saying has come to me over my life. I mean, I don't know how old you ladies are. I venture a guess that I'm a couple of years older than you guys. Um, my own sort of journey itself has, like I said, now if YouTube existed when I was going to university, I would have never gone to university. Um, all, because I think I've learned more on my own because I, I'm an insomniac. I sleep two hours a night at most, and I'll spend most of the night just 
going into this spiral of learning on YouTube where I'll, you know, I'll, I'll delve into videos on quantum mechanics or on, you know, uh, philosophies of individualism or something. And I'll just spend hours while everyone else in my house is sleeping. Um, and I have entered a guess that had that been the case in my teen years, I probably would have done the same thing. And I would have issued uh, university college courses in that sense. Um, and I do think the world does need more free thinkers and people who reject this collectivism and this, uh, not to get too political, but the whole concept of statism and putting everyone above yourself. So uh, I, I, I do appreciate that angle of it, right? That someone who has not been indoctrinated like that does have the ability to think on their own and to stand up for their beliefs later on in life. Um, it's interesting though, uh, Lainey, I noticed in, in your bio, reading your bio, like you said, you've traveled all over the world. I think you said 50 countries and counting or something like that. Um, where, where in the world would you say has your, your guys's concept of unschooling been either already there when you visited or most open to receiving that sort of concept of schooling, or has it been pretty much the same everywhere? That's a really good question. Um, there are pockets of modern natural learners. We call them unschoolers, self-directed learners mm -hmm. all throughout the Western world. Um, we've spent the majority of our time in Latin America. Okay. Although we've been through Asia and Africa and Europe and all that too. We have, we have, but our base has been Latin America. And I would say, well, it's it's a really tough one to answer. Okay. I know there are activists in India that are doing this kind of work. There's there's a man named Manish Jain who um, has a university that is all self-directed and he supports uh, self-directed learners from a younger age. Um, I would say there there there's an incredible book about um, communities in the Amazon jungle and we lived in Peru and we visited the jungle many times where they don't have Western schooling for the most part. And the book is called The Continuum Concept and that is probably one of the most profound reads that I ever had. That helped me to shift my belief system about the empty vessel right. versus children being born with everything that they need to know. And anybody who's listening to this, that would be one of the first first books that I would recommend that you read because it's really about your mindset shift when you are approaching this. What, what so, name? What was the name of that book again? Continuum Concept by the Judith Lytle. What's her name, Sarah? Judith Lytle Lyd or something like that. Continuum Concept. Jane Lytle. Oh, yeah. I just remember the name of the okay, book. Okay, the, the continuum concept. I'm sure if we have the name, we can find it. Okay, yeah, it's okay. It's a really good one. And having visited some of these um, communities in the Amazon many, many times, actually, and recognizing without these traditional schools, they have a relationship with trees. They don't need to learn the Latin name of the tree. Right. They know that this tree is the giver of this spirit, which gives this medicine, which gives this healing. Like that kind of right. knowledge is passed on generation to generation. So I would say there's there's a lot of ancient 
knowledge that we don't look at, um, you know, from the Western perspective uh, that is still there, that is really pretty much about natural learning and, and ancestral learning and, and myth and traditions and things like that. I know, Sarah, you can speak to that a lot because you've looked at that in the UK, yeah? Yeah, well, I guess what I what I want to say is, although these ideas are seen as something new and radical and unusual now, um, because we've gotten used to the school system, which, by the way, is very modern, um, and something of an experiment, actually, what we're talking about is pretty ancient. So yeah, we've got the internet, you know, our kids love gaming, what my my teenage daughter loves social media. And she chats on her friend, chats with her friends in different countries, which obviously no one was doing thousands of years ago. Um, but the behaviors, the behaviors of humans, actually, when they are allowed to be and like left alone, so to speak, not without guidance, but without interference or indoctrination, um, is unchanged. This is what I believe, and this is what I observe. And so, really, we are talking about something uh, quite ancient. Um, we've got some modern tools, you know, and, and every generation has new tools. And even, you know, 3,000 years ago or more when the Romans invaded the land that I'm currently standing on, they brought modern modern irrigation and plumbing and different ways of planting and roads. You know, that was new. Um, so there's new stuff all the time. Um, but how humans are, how we relate how we want to live in community, how we want to thrive, how we want to do good, that's not changed. So we're actually talking about something like really ancient. Yeah, no, no, that that's actually uh, very, very true, I think. You know, the, the, the technology makes things easier for us in the sense that we can accomplish things, right? And we, don't, and we don't have to constantly relearn things. Right. So, uh, you know, we don't always have to experiment to find out what temperature water boils at or how long something has to how long you leave the, the kettle on to make tea. Right. We, we know it takes X amount of time. Right. Um, but the, the way we think, I think. Probably has never changed and how we how we learn best learn, I think, is is probably something that, you know, and I have to admit, it was eye-opening with my son in his particular circumstances to see how he learns and to understand how I learn. Because to your point, I forgot how I learned at some point. At, at, at some point, I just fell into this, oh my God, I became a coder. And the way you learn to code is you learn as much syntax as possible. And then, blah, 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 blah. And then at some point, I had to stop and say, okay, but coding is an art form and you can't, you can't, um, you can't uh, structuralize art, you know? You, so, and it kind of helped me sort of regress into that. To, to become a better coder, I have to stop learning almost, you know? And it was it was a weird sort of transition for me. So very interesting like that from my personal experience. Uh, final question. Uh, as anarchist moms, I'm assuming you don't have any objection to the voluntarily, the voluntary um, combination of learning groups, correct? So yeah. is, is there the concept in your, prag uh, pragmatically, is there the concept of a classroom in, only in the sense of 
uh, different families learning together, not necessarily different children within the same family, which I'm assuming is the central unit of your uh, of your uh, paradigm, but say, do your two do your children, if you were in the same vicinity, say, learn together? Um, is that a common practice, or is it basically uh, the family? If they have X number of kids, it's those kids learning to navigate life on their own. It's all common. It's like it's whatever. Yeah, like it, there, it's it's like every family approaches it differently, but particularly in the unschooling world, right? Um, and certainly, there's a lot of people that are passionate about self governance in the unschooling world. Um, that that we are led by what our children want to do. So my children, for example, they don't want to take a class. I mean, maybe one day they will, and they have in the past. There's been things that they've done with their friends, mm. only with their friends. They're not interested in going to a class with people that they don't know. Um, but but this, there are things called like homeschool co-ops, for example, where it might be a few families get together. And it might be as simple as, um, all of your kids want to learn parkour. So you find a parkour teacher and you go, hey, can you do a class on Wednesdays? And the guy goes, sure, and this is how much it's going to cost. And then we all rock up on Wednesdays and do a class. Right. Or it could be online classes and you hook up with your friends uh, or strangers. I mean, it really depends on the family and on the children and at what point they're ready to um, maybe ask for some external like teaching or mentoring because that can happen too like um, you know a child might want to learn a really specialized skill and maybe they want to bring in some outside help right um, and and maybe they'll do that with other families and I'd love to answer that because our situation was slightly different we were nomadic right. and at 13 my son said he wanted community. So together we launched Project World School, which brought groups of teens around the world to different places to learn uh, in community. So it was experiential immersive learning, but it was in the spirit of partnership, which meant we did everything based on consent. So if you can imagine, here I am facilitating and holding a safe space for 15 teenagers that all need to agree before we do the next thing. <laughs> and it takes a lot of work and that motivation to be there in the first place and to want to find the spaces within each one of us, each one of us in this community to be able to be cooperative, to be able to have this opt-in experience that we all want to have and the safe space to disagree and not give consent and talk about why. Those are all part of you know the big learning experience. And so my specialty is really working with adolescents, with teens. And I've brought over a hundred teenagers to different places in the world to have these experiences. So that would be in some people's mind, a more formalized kind of learning experience, but it's an opt-in experience, right? They, most of the teens that come on our trips, um, three to four week trips in different countries need to raise the money themselves, need right. to, you know, make these experiences happen. So they've got skin in the game and they really want to be there. And when they've earned the money, 
if somebody else is, you know, being a dick or raining on their parade, there is a high motivation to work their shit out. Like there is a high motivation to come to a consensus because it's beneficial for all. Yeah. Right. And and then and certainly by investing themselves, not just monetarily, but their effort to get there. Yeah. Um, certainly that's the motivate all the motivation you need, right? Like yeah. it's not <clears throat> it's not just X number of dollars or, or Bitcoin or whatever that went into the trip. It's the 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 physical effort I may have had to put in to earn that money to be able yeah. to pay for this trip, right? So now it becomes like I don't want someone. I'm here to quote learn, uh, whatever. However, that's defined within that environment. And if someone's like you said being a dick, then that could definitely it be off putting, right? So, um, excellent, excellent. Well, you know, I love hearing about this. This was very fascinating to me. Um, I, I hope uh, you guys don't feel that I uh, over uh, slighted you in any way. I hope that wasn't the case. But uh, at this point of the show, we get to the point where we a I ask a couple of silly questions and I need you to just answer them. Totally off the board. So tell me what the first thing that comes into your head. We'll go in order. Sarah, your favorite musician. Oh, I hate this question. <laughs> No, because it's Joni Mitchell and she's like boycotted Spotify because she doesn't agree with free speech. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still Joni Mitchell. It's Joni Mitchell. <laughs> Sorry. Lainey, how about you? This is going to blow your socks up. I love Tricky. <laughs> Tricky? I, I, Tricky. I have, I'll, I'll, I'll admit to my ignorance. I have no idea who or what that is. Uh, he's a British sort of trip hop artist that was really popular in the 90s, and I love him. And I'm okay. probably older than you. <laughs> oh, okay. Fair I'm enough. I, 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 this, I guess this is part of that natural environment learning because now I, I have to go look up who Trekkie is. Okay, fair oh, enough. Tricky. 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 Oh, Tricky. Tricky. I thought you said Trekkie, which was even more tricky. confusing to me, but Tricky. Okay, I'll, I'll look him up. I love Tricky. Okay. Um, we'll start with Lainey this time. Uh, your favorite movie? And you could go to maybe one or two. You don't have to narrow it down if it's too difficult. Orlando. And it's based off of a um, Virginia Woolf uh, novel. I love the movie so much. Yeah. Excellent. Sarah? Oh, my God. These are hard <laughs> questions. Because I hate my kids ask me all the time, what's your favorite this? What's your favorite? I'm not picking favorites. Uh, we just saw last week the latest Marvel movie, Thor, Love and Thunder, heaps of guns and roses. It's my current favorite. Fair enough. I'll accept that as an answer. All right, last one. Get a little serious. Sarah, who's your favorite philosopher, teacher, slash author? Man. Far out. I hate picking favorites of anything. I mean, I loved <laughs> Dostoevsky when I was younger, but now I really like Charles Eisenstein. Okay. Lainey? Oh. Hmm. All right. <laughs> Charles Bukowski. Okay. <laughs> and he's not a philosopher, but he kind of is. He's a poet. Um, I was like, you know, oh my gosh, Nietzsche. Okay, I could go to all of these <laughs> right. places. Hey, but I, I love it. I love it. It's what you, it, it's what it's what uh 
what brings you joy, right? So I, you know, you could tell me you enjoy reading the advertisement on the subway for all I care. You know, it's just <laughs> what, what brings you joy, right? So that's all I meant by that. Okay, excellent. Well, ladies, it was, it was awesome having you on. Uh, I'm really you. glad we had the opportunity to talk. I hope you enjoyed your time here as well. Please, uh, any plugs, Twitter handles, websites you'd like to get out there? Well, uh, Sarah and I have a, a website, um, partnershipparent.com. Um, at about twice a year, we serve parents. I spend most of my time working with teens, but okay. we partner up about twice a year to serve parents and really help them work through some of the mental wellness that is behind partnership and unpack some of those um, beliefs that are programmed and, and sort of stop us from being in partnership. Um, so find us there, Sarah and I at partnershipparent.com. You can find me at um, uh, projectworldschool.com and at transformative mentoring for teens. And don't forget to buy my book. <laughs> give us the, give us the title of your book. The book is called Seen, Heard, and Understood, Parenting and Partnering with Teens for Greater Mental Health. I was health. going to say, be a good marketer now. Hold up the book so we could all see it. Excellent. Perfect. And, and along with a bright smile. Couldn't be a better <laughs> advertisement. All right. Well, Sarah, does that cover you as well? Or do you have any, any particular sites or handles? Uh, I'm also at therenegademom.com renegademom.com okay I, um, by the way i love and it i am about i am i have a, a contribution to a book coming out next month called raising wild ones excellent boy if nothing else you guys have great <laughs> titles for your websites and your books <laughs> and your philosophies i can't argue with that I, you must be uh, natural marketers to some extent so maybe that was your natural learning path at some point uh all right well thank you very much for joining us again this has been The Big Questions with Big John. Join us again next episode for another interesting conversation, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>